All right, welcome into another Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast. We really appreciate you guys tuning in and giving us a little bit of your time. Today's guest, very excited to have the one, the only, the inimitable Tony Beltran, now assistant general manager, longtime right back at RSL. He spent a year now working in the front office with Elliot Fall, the general manager, with Rob Zarcos, our first guest on this pod. Um, Tony's job spans a lot of duties, but he is intimately involved in the the entire front office technical setup for RSL, for the Monarchs, for the Academy. We get into that. Tony might have gained most of his post-playing notoriety uh, in recent months as the chatter around his creation of an RSL way uh, document as a, you know, really trying to put the culture of the club into words, connect the soccer side, the, the business side of the organization. There is a physical separation between Harriman and Sandy, obviously, that sometimes uh, that makes some of the cohesion, I think, that we all expect from a rapidly growing RSL organization uh, a little difficult. So we'll get into a lot of that and so much more with Tony Beltran coming up momentarily. But before we get there, Trey Fitzgerald, that's me, your host today, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, the super producer, Ryan Hale. And Ryan, in case you missed it, a few news and notes uh, before we get to Tony. RSL signing its youngest homegrown player ever, a 16-year-old goalkeeper from Harriman named Jeff Doosnip. So on the heels of uh, David Ochoa and the re-signing of Andrew Putna, uh, the RSL Academy goalkeeper Jeff Doosnip just continues to fill that uh, homegrown pipeline. Uh, Doosnip, now 16, I believe he's the third youngest overall signing, the youngest homegrown signing. I did see Matt Montgomery... Um, reminding everybody that both uh, Nick Bassanio, the number one draft pick back in 2005 uh, for RSL under John Ellinger, and then Luis Gill uh, later were both slightly, just really a handful of days younger, I think, than Deucenup when they signed with the club. But um, Deucenup grew up in Harriman, just in the shadow of where the academy is now. Joined the academy when he was 14, had been playing his club ball with uh, La Roca. So just um, a ton of phenomenal kind of local community uh, connectivity in this signing. So we'll look forward to maybe seeing Jeff in some Monarchs games this year. And uh, who knows when we'll see him uh, with the first team. David Ochoa, who we talked about uh, earlier, getting the call in to the U.S. under-23 camp led by Jason Kreiss in Olympic preparations because even though a lot of people don't think the Japan Olympics are going to happen, they have not been officially uh, canceled yet. So David Ochoa did suffer a, a slight, I think it was a quadricep or a hamstring injury. So he was replaced in that U.S. camp, Jason Kreiss mentioning earlier that uh, that would not preclude him from future camps. Any There was a couple other injury replacements. Other RSL news and notes. Uh, Corey Baird traded to LAFC. That was that was some big news to kick off uh, the last week. So uh, Corey Baird, Rookie of the Year in MLS uh, a few years ago, another RSL Academy product before he went on to, to Stanford and then signed his MLS deal. So um, the number 10 shirt is vacant for perhaps one of uh, 
Elliott Falls new signings in the offseason or who knows, maybe somebody on the on the roster will take over that number ten vacated by Corey Bear now at LAFC. RSL receiving five hundred thousand dollars in allocation and an international spot, which I understand the market value is very circumstantial and situational for different clubs, but people at the league generally value those international spots and the hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred thousand uh, allocation value. So not a bad bit of business, I think, uh, you know, for a front office that that hopefully has uh, replacements lined up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but RSL's been playing without a international spot, or at least one for the last, for almost the entire yeah. existence, right? So there are there were two international, they were youth international spots at the time. They used to be divided out, senior international, youth international. They were both traded away in 2005 by, by former GM Steve Pastorino and and former head coach um, John Ellinger. When Chivas USA, so one was sent to Chivas USA, um, one was sent to Colorado Rapids, um, the Rapids trade was, I think, for Adolfo Gregorio, who only played the second half of 2005 with us. The the Chivas spot was traded, I think, in preseason for a player that already had a career-ending uh, knee injury. So, um, for the from 2005 until Chivas folded in so 14, RSL was down. Um, two permanent international spots. I don't remember what year it was when RS when the league combined those. I think it was probably nine or ten. So RSL has always kind of been handicapped, if you will, um, on those international slots. When Chivas folded, we got one back, but uh, it sounds like that 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 other international spot that was traded to Colorado uh, might be lost in perpetuity, at least until as long as those rules exist in MLS. So I know that. Um, Various RSL general managers uh, that have succeeded, Steve Pastorino, have begged, pleaded with Todd Durbin in the Major League Soccer uh, player department to 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 provide some mercy and to undo that decision. But uh, that's not happening. Uh, that or that obviously hasn't happened, and I've, it's probably not happening anytime soon. So that is a key aspect of this Corey Baird deal, I think. Uh, uh, depending what uh, Freddie and Elliot have up their sleeve in terms of um, as they scout the world, as they scour the world for uh, roster fortification. And I believe that is it for today's news and notes. We'll always try to kind of retrace some of these as we uh, kick off the Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast before we get to the big interview. As mentioned earlier, today's guest, very, very pleased to welcome Tony Beltran, a man who truly needs no introduction, but has been a part of this club since the MLS Super Draft in 2008. Many of us remember Tony as part of that kind of three-headed outside back monster that also included Chris Wingert and Robbie Russell. Uh, Tony, a phenomenal soldier uh, for this club, and just a guy who has always represented uh, the RSL badge with the utmost in professionalism, class, respect. Doesn't matter if he's in front of 25,000 people or um, it's a one-on-one interaction. Tony is a guy that made everybody in the club feel at home. I know he's made countless fans 
happy and connected um, to this to this soccer team that calls Sandy slash Harriman slash Salt Lake Utah home. So without further ado, Tony Beltran, RSL Assistant General Manager. Tony, welcome. We're so excited to have you here on the Bleeding Claret Cobalt Podcast. Feel free to either publicly or privately provide us with feedback on uh, <laughs> on our name, our, our our subject matter, our guests. So you're here in the early days as we get this thing off the ground. And obviously, uh, I think our, our fans, RSL Nation, if you will, they, they want to hear from a lot of people, but you're uh, right there at the top of the list. So thank you. I appreciate that, Trey. I really do. And um, thank you for the invite. I'm happy to be a part of anything you're a part of. Okay. And uh, really, it's a pleasure. And, and I like the name for what it's worth. I, right. I think we don't use, um, you know, our, our true colors uh, often enough. So yeah. it's, it's kind of nice to hear them out loud. No double entendre on the true colors. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tony, I mean, I've been away. I'm back. I feel like I'm back home. I'm so energized to to kind of be related again in the community with the club. And um, I'm excited to hear about what your last... 12 months have been um, because I, I, I was over in Austria reading your kind of farewell letter to the RSL nation. And, sure. and um, in preparation for this, I went back to it. I'm just, it's just so moving. I don't know if I've ever seen a more eloquent um, goodbye, but not complete goodbye, you know, uh, from an athlete to, to uh, fans or to a club and obviously a club that you've been a part of for going on, I think 14 years now. So um How's how how has the transition been? I guess in I say transition. I know you had a little bit of a, a what roughly a year kind of a injury rehab there, right? But uh, I guess just let the people know kind of what um, your emotions have been like, your the learning curve, and uh, I'll I'll shut up by uh, <laughs> sharing what Jason Christ told me about three months into his coaching career, which was. Everything I thought I wanted as a player is the opposite of what I think is best now for the locker room as as the head coach. And you know, maybe a little bit of hyperbole there for Jason, but it, you know that kind of that uh, change in perspective was definitely uh, shocking for him. So I'm just curious uh, about how the how the last year plus have been for you moving in to the front office, working with Elliot and Rob and Freddie and everybody else. Sure, sure. Um, first of all, thank you for the kind sentiment about the the um, retirement letter. It was, you know, it was something I really tried to pour myself into and really have it be uh, at its core, just a thank you to everyone involved with the club, you know, um, with my growth over the years and just the community itself. Um, so I appreciate you uh, you saying that. And, and uh, look, I think there's a lot of truth to what Jason said. Um, you know, I've, I've thought at a couple points this year as I've had to learn things so quickly and, and as, as I've, I've learned things that I wish I knew a lot of these things when I was a player, because, you know, it would have indirectly helped me or at least helped me understand, you know, you always kind of conceptualize, um, what the, the vantage point, what the thought process is from that vantage point. And, you know, you talk to people and you get advice from influential figures, but, uh, the true understanding is, it's interesting. It could be, you know, a unique addition to the player's perspective, um, although certainly not a necessary one. Uh, it's just a you know kind of a rambling thought. But but how the year has gone um, since the transition, and yes, it, it was a little bit gradual. You know, I had time to prepare, and certainly even before the knee injury, I was right. preparing for this eventuality. But 
you know, preparation, conceptualizing this and actually executing it were two different things. And, you know, I, I remember the moment when I when I really, truly had to accept that I wasn't going to get it back, uh, you know, as a training session in, in Harriman. And and I, I came off the field, you know, I, I told myself I was going to get through the training session no matter what. And there were, you know, weeks and honestly months leading up to that point of, of similar circumstances. But just limping off the field and, and realizing, you know, physically I just didn't belong or there was no, it wasn't even close to belonging anymore to yeah. everyone around me. And it was emotional. Um, you know, I was trying to hide it from my from my teammates, my coaches, my peers, um, climbing the steps at Harriman and and I actually ran into Elliot right then and um which was I think, you know, I'm I'm really thankful for because obviously, you know, he's a good friend, um and we've been friends for a long time. Um, but he's he's someone I trust. And so it was kind of an outpouring of, of emotion in that moment and that was, you know, the catalyst through conversations with him and, and with Craig at the time, um, and with Mike about look, you know, as much as I wanna keep trying um, I had to stop. Um, so, so again, clearly a lot of emotion tied yeah. up in that. And, and as far as the, the direct transition goes, you know, I made the decision and, and it took a while to, to stick with the organization because a part of me when I was a player also wanted to prove to myself and, and maybe I think this is pretty foolhardy actually in, in uh, retrospect that, that I could do something outside of soccer, mm. that I could be somebody else outside of, of the game. And, um, I think, there's probably a certain element of that in, in every professional player because your identity is tied up in what you do, what you've done for so long and, and what is, um, you know, what is the center of your life. Right. Um, but, but the more I thought about it, the more I talked with, uh, you know, with Elliot and, and I developed a relationship with Rob, Rob Zarcos and, and, uh, you know, talk with Mr. Hansen at the time and, um, and Craig at the time as well as, you know, my life's work was with, with RSL. And um, so much of me is um, is uniquely tied to the club. And so it just made sense. Right. Um, it really felt like from that standpoint and also because I had so many good people around me that I knew genuinely cared about me um, because I had been with the club for so long, you know, people like yourself, um, that it was the best place for me to transition into this next phase of life and somewhere where I could continue to, you know, stumble and fall as I figured things out on the other side of the lines. Um, so, sorry, this is a very long-winded, no, you know, answer on, on kind of my thought process and yeah. everything. And then how this year has gone, how 2020 as my inaugural year in the front office has gone, um, it's been quite a year. You know, I feel like whatever the opposite of, of Dorian Gray is, you know, you look at, they always give the example of presidents, you know, they give the before and after. Right, sure. Um, uh, from four years or eight years respectively and how much they've aged. Um, I feel I feel exhausted um, yeah, in a sure. whole new way, um, but that's okay. Uh, you know, that's a, I mean that in a good way um, because honestly, I've learned a tremendous amount. Again, I'm so thankful that through all the difficulties of this year and everything we've been presented with, that I have good people around me. I keep coming back to that people I genuinely want to go in and and work with and collaborate with and and do everything we can to build RSL into the best version of itself. Um, a, a version worthy of the community. So um, so I'm thankful for that. And again, the last edition I'll say is in the midst of everything everyone else is dealing with in, in 2020, and I, I don't want to portray like I have it worse because there's, sure. you know, there's a lot of people have, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged. I feel yep. very fortunate. There's a lot of people out there who've, who've been very hard done by this year. Um, but I did have my wife and I welcome twins in the middle of the year. Um, so, you know, you add in 
those two wonderful elements. It's been uh, yeah, it's been a good time. Well, congratulations again. I, obviously, everybody's very happy for for you and your and your wife and your extended family to to grow so positively. Um, one of my questions, I guess, when you're going through kind of that decision process, the injury rehab, how seriously did you consider how far did your mind go about i don't know playing for another team or living in another mls city at the tail end i guess of your career um sure or maybe you know working outside of soccer in another environment because clearly you have you have very deep roots here you you and and your wife and and her family and um you've been here a long time so i just i'm curious to think about uh or to wonder um you know where your mind kind of went throughout the probably a roller coaster ride of 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 rehabbing um your knee it was yes um yeah it's interesting i haven't thought about that in a long time but there was an opportunity at the end of that would have been 2018 where you know i i had it back for a second and i i completed my rehabilitation you know thanks to all the good people around me yeah. who helped me with that process you know theron ends tyler knight matthew halley um henry ruggiero who's no longer with the club but mm. so many good people you know i could go on and on um, people who really, really cared about me getting back in the field, genuinely cared, um, not just because it's their occupation, but um, was back and, and made the bench for the for the last um, playoff game against Kansas City in Kansas City. And then the offseason went into effect and, and I was a free agent. So there were okay. some interested parties. You know, I, I think there was um, there was a chance to go to Cincinnati, um, although I, I wasn't no offense to them, you know, they were playing on turf in yeah, the sure. year, so it didn't really make sense for me and my knee. Um, and then there was a very concrete chance for me to go to Toronto, mm. um, which, uh, you know, is exciting in nature. But again, I think as my wife and I talked about that and in the back of my mind, I never wanted to leave. Right. Um, this is home. Um, you know, it's, and I mean that in every sense of the word, this is where, you know, I, I put down roots here more than anywhere else um, I've ever been. And so... So really, there was never a choice in me leaving, and and uh, we went through the the natural processes that you do in the off season. But um, you know, the front office, Craig and Elliot, um, at the time, uh, made it clear they wanted me to stay as well. Right. So very thankful that worked out. And then the latter half of your question, um, for exploring opportunities outside the club. I mean, I went so far as I, I actually really enjoyed, kind of the challenge to myself of, of you know, applying for jobs and going through interview processes mm-hmm. and things like that because it's something I'd never done before. Right. Um, I guess the last interview I did was with Jason and Garth at the Combine in 2008, um, which <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool to say and seems like a lifetime ago. But so I interviewed for a couple of te- tech companies here in Utah and, and almost accepted an offer. But again, it, you know, always wanted to, yeah. to work within the club because it's where my heart is. What... Um... Obviously, you've put down great roots here. As I'm kind of putting the math of of your career, your CV back together. I mean, you've spent basically your whole adult life here. Yeah. So, um, a couple questions: How have you seen, kind of through RSL's growth and development, um, the move from Rice Eccles to Rio Tinto, and and all the great accomplishments, all those great teams that, that you were an integral part of? How have you kind of seen the community change um, related to RSL, maybe also just related to, um, you know, 2008 to 2021 is just a long time. It's, it's, it is. It's it's uh, 75% roughly of a generation, I guess. So 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's an interesting um it's interesting to think back about the the duration of that timeline. <laughs> I mean, you know, Draper where we're sitting right now is a great example. Uh, not to give our location away. I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> to our producer Ryan. Um but I remember I I went out here to the DMV to get my Utah driver's license, I think my first year, mm-hmm. and it was nothing but dirt out here. And yeah. you know, now Draper's uh, pristine. It's a wonderful community. It's a wonderful neighborhood. Um and and you know, like I'm sure Harriman was also, you know. I mean, even two years ago when I left, Harriman was, sur- that facility was surrounded by nothing. Exactly. And now it's a million uh, single family homes, basically. It is, which is exciting for the city, you know, for our economy here and, yeah. and, and everything. But, you know, with uh, with any period of, of substantial growth, it's also um, concerning. You know, we see that in the repercussions of our air quality and, and things like that, which is, you know, we don't have to get into. But, um, but the community... Look, the community has has always been a wonderful, wonderful place and a very welcoming place, uh, very welcoming people. And I think kind of at the root, what's at the root of that, the root of the community and their identity has not been lost, even with this, you know, um, very aggressive expansion. And that's the fact that something I learned very early on is that once you move here, generally people don't leave here. And once you do move here, whether, look, whether you move here or you grow up here, there's this like distinct willingness to combat people outside of this community who don't understand the community and are quick to dismiss it, Um, you know, it's a sense of pride. And I think uh, it's ubiquitous throughout Utah, whether, again, you grew up here or whether you're, you know, this is your adopted home. Um, It's just something that plays into the the community's identity. And I've always, I've always loved that and, and just been fascinated by that. That's awesome. Um, Agreed 100%. As somebody who had never been here before, I, I, came for RSL, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what, I guess, kind of playing along, you know, the values of the community, the growth of the community, um, you know, Elliot has been uh, talking publicly for the last couple months about the RSL Way document that, that you've helped put together as somebody that's sure. certainly uh, lived the highs and lows of this club for, for almost its entire existence, 80% of its existence, whatever. Um so I guess what are some of those community values that 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 you feel uh, along with the others that that have developed this club's culture? What what is the paradigm? What is the RSL way? Mm-hmm. How do you uh, succinctly kind of describe that to you know? There's a lot of a lot of growth has happened in a short period of time for this club. So um, you know, Arnold, who oversees the academy, I'm sure, sure. you know you and many others have to kind of teach him, hey, this is what the club's about. I know a lot of that happens probably during the interview process and, and that kind of thing. But I think uh, the listeners, the fans, everybody would just kind of, I think, love to hear in your words, you know, what that what that R, what that evolving kind of RSL paradigm is. Sure, sure. And I'm glad you brought up Arnold because he's really kind of, you know, at, this, at the impetus of all of this. And um, I remember when him and I were getting to know each other, and, and first of all, I should just um, you know, just say Arnold's fantastic, you know, a fantastic man, fantastic person to work for. And, and he has a, an absolute tireless work ethic, which I admire so much. And he's right. going to do, he's done so many great things uh, for youth development, in our community, our academy, and he's going to continue. But that aside, when we were getting to know each other, and obviously, you know, he's, he's coming from Europe, um, and he was, he was asking me, so, you know, I keep asking, he was telling me, I, I keep asking people who exactly is Real Salt Lake. And no one can give me a concrete answer on, on what that is. And and what we were talking about is the fact that, you know, in, in Europe, teams there, clubs there have such a storied history. You know, right. they have century a century's worth of history. 
And because of that, the team has almost, their teams have almost evolved into something that is authentically representative of the people within their, their community. Right. Um, and that's something that, look, I don't think is absolutely true in American sports um, for whatever reason. But we started asking ourselves, well, why not? Because one thing we knew in the beginning of the year that we needed to change, that we wanted to change, that Rob Elliott and I talked about it, talked about is um, kind of a cultural foundation on which the club needs and which the club needed to operate on. Um, and really firmly establishing what that is, not only for the people internally, but for externally as well. Mm. And I think, um, look, it's my honest opinion that we needed it then, but now we need it more than ever sure. as well. Um, just through the transition, through the uncertainty, um, through everything, through the obvious. And so what we kind of landed on, um, and you use the word succinctly, and, and as Rob and E will joke, uh, that's not really my strong suit. Um, they, you know, they like to, to joke around the office that if you ask me for something, I'll give you 100 pages, and they'll have to edit down to a couple pages. So, so anyways, Your I thought- Your thorough attention to detail is appreciated, though. <laughs> It's fun for me. Uh, it's why I was a history major. I like, right. you know, reading and, and getting into stuff and really diving in. And so, you know, to start this off, I did a lot of reading about the history of Utah and learned about, you know, kind of the, the origins of its people here and, and how the community grew and came about and its, its founding um, principles and values and things like that. And, and you know, uh, everyone who lives here, under you know, knows that the settlers were industrious, you know, right. and it was their industry that caught that that allowed the desert to bloom into their desert rose. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and that, it's beautiful. And I, I love that sentiment. And, and frankly, I, that's kind of embodies our team in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the other thing I touched on earlier, which is the ubiquitous pride um, throughout the state, you know, whether you're an adopted son or daughter of Utah or, or you grew up here, yep. you know, you're always willing to defend um, the beauty of your homeland to outsiders who are quick to dismiss it. And the community aspect as well. You know, you talk about, again, the the original inhabitants of the land and then throughout um, the pe- the history of the peoples of Utah, just having to work together and be work together in a harmonious nature mm. um, to achieve this society, to achieve more and, and to grow this community into what it is. So we wanted to embody all of that and be authentic to the history of the state, the yeah. history of its people. And the fact is, as, as we were researching this and talking about it and writing about it, we realized this was already representative of the period of RSL where we had the greatest success. Sure. And you think about 2009, you think about that team. Look, it was a, a group of players and a group of uh, front office staff, you know, the entire staff, coaching staff, who, who came together, who put the team, our little community first, and right. who achieved more because of that. And look, we were, we were a small shop. We did we did more with less, yeah. uh, you know, and we had an industrious work ethic, and and because of that, we were able to bring the first championship to Utah, um, you know. So those are kind of the layers in which we worked with, and and, sure. and again, so you know, we talk about pride, we talk about community, we talk about industry in a resolute form, we talk about that harmonious nature which yeah. the people of Utah, you know, um, have always embodied, and then and then the last thing which you know um, is of course paramount to any organization success is just integrity, mm. um, you know, in, in each form. So those were kind of the the five pillars on which we landed on and kind of which we used as the foundation for the document as we built it out in, this, in its entirety. Right. How would you say the document, obviously it's a living, breathing thing, right? Sure. This club is always growing. The growth over the last five years, I think, has been 
phenomenal and extremely ambitious with monarchs, royals, moving the academy from Arizona to Utah, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the league, the sport continue to grow exponentially every year. Um, I guess with that as kind of the background, how do you how do you maybe look at these values, these tenets, and I guess I'm trying to overcomplicate this, but no, no, no. then how, like how, how do you kind of take that and then look at a year like 2020, which was an extremely disjointed uh, year, not just like, as you mentioned earlier, not just for us and this club and, and the people here, but people everywhere, right? You've got sure. a, a hundred year global uh, pandemic, which unfortunately is stretching now into, into 2021, um, you've got obviously, uh, extremely significant social justice, uh, events and hopefully reforms happening that, um, I guess kind of from the outside looking in when I was overseas and then, you know, down in Texas for much of 2020 and then coming back here, it's like, okay, so many of these things that make Utah different, that make Utah special, that, that togetherness, that integrity, that sense of we're all in this together, mm-hmm. I think are the exact things that that allow, whether it's our club or our society or everything in between, to solve all of these sure. these problems that are, are obviously difficult to face. So with that as a, as a massive backdrop, how difficult is it for, and I asked Rob this, but, you know, for you and Rob and Elliot and Freddie to kind of Look back at a season that, you know, you had the Orlando bubble and you had fits and starts and you often didn't know if a game was going to go off and you see the NBA is going through it right now. The NFL had a, had a little bit of uncertainty mm-hmm. this past season. It's just it's just something I think we're all going to have to get used to, unfortunately, in the short term. But how do you evaluate um, team performance, coaching performance, front office performance? Because nobody gets to just press pause, right? Like you guys are still in the process of talking to agents and players and coaches all over the world to try to improve RSL sure. monarchs to, to properly develop the kids in the Academy. I know just getting those guys games over the last six months has been Very arduous, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess just your viewpoint on, on that very complicated, um, amorphous question. <laughs> no, I like it. Um, and the core of it, if I think I've got it right, you know, how do you evaluate um, staff, players, um, personnel? It, it's look, it, it's a complicated question. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, your question was representative of just how complicated it is. Uh, the one thing I've tried to keep in mind, and, and I know Elliot and Rob have as well, because we've talked about this, is 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 keeping the perspective that this year. We don't, you can never have a full understanding, understanding of, of what your fellow man or woman in the workplace or, you know, or in the community, you know, or you're just your fellow human being is dealing with, mm-hmm. um, because this is all unprecedented for all of us. And this is, you know, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we kind of, you know, go through, as we all went through the cadence of the year and, you know, we dealt with, uh, you know, learning about the virus and, and the implications and the change in lifestyle and the consequences, you know, on our economy and 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 the workplace and everything like that, it, to keep humanity at the forefront of that, um, because you know that's that's what unites us all. Sure. We're all in this together. 
Um, and we're all, you know, we're all trying to deal with this in our own ways. Um, and so look, it's tough. We're in a, we're in a, the business of entertainment, yeah. right? And, and especially in sports, if certain expectations are, are not met, there's going to be consequences. But I think, uh, you know, through the obvious with COVID and the other influential factors and, and what influenced our, our season, um, and our organization, I think, uh, when evaluating everything, you have to keep the humanity at the forefront of yeah. it because that's what people need right now. You know, we need to heal. Sure. We need to have conversations. Um, of course, we need to move forward, but we can figure that out together. So as we look as we look forward into, I guess, the next era of of Real Salt Lake with all of this, um, these outstanding people, the culture, the strengths of the organization as a backdrop, the infrastructure created in the last five years under Deloitte Hansen has been outstanding. Absolutely. Um, the relevance that I think the sport, the league, and the club enjoy, not just in MLS, but also uh, USL. And and I still believe it was a massive mistake for NWSL to abandon 10,000 fans a game. So Agreed. I think um, these are the kinds of things that are the obvious strengths of the organization. But I guess what what are the things the people – um, those pillars of the organization that that get you, I guess, motivated to come to work every day and, and move forward as we as we kind of move into a new era for the club and and um, reconnect in certain ways. Sure, um, sure, um, and I, I think I think you said it in the question. You know, it's the people, and it's the fact that um, you know I think about perspective sometime and the fact that you know obviously. I, I know you love the club, you know, infinitely and, and I do as well. And there's so many people out there that do, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're, we have a very, um, we haven't been around for a long time and we're, you know, maybe a relatively small shop compared to other right. shops, you know, and I, I don't say that to be dismissive of, of anything we've achieved or what we've built ourselves into. But, um, you know, I, I just say that for perspective, but the thing I keep coming back to is there's just, there's so many people in the community and also, you know, even within our organization, who genuinely care about RSL and who genuinely need RSL, um, to they need it to be the best version of themselves and need it to conduct its way in a manner that is befitting of, of that admiration. Um, you know, and I think uh, not letting those people down, yeah. honestly, is, is kind of, you know, is a huge motivator. And, and again, everyone... You know, I talk to people from around the league, whether it's people who have been here or people who just visited and, you know, ex-players. And once you've been here, once you've been with the organization, everyone understands the magic. Right. They really do. Even if they can't articulate it, um, you know, I know I certainly can't, but there is a magic to this community and to this club um, that you can feel. And and we, look, I want to do worthy of that magic. Sure. Um, you know, me personally, and I know a lot of people in the organization feel that way as well. So just continuing to to work towards building this organization into the best version of itself, I think, is, is you know, uh, is a worthy goal. Yeah, and a constant goal, right? So mm-hmm. were was there anything, thinking about the emotional connection that the club has with its fans, did that, I guess, how did that kind of go through your mind when, when you're talking to Pablo Mastroeni about... A coaching job, you know, because that was obviously something that that fans some flames, and it was. I think it was good to see, and obviously the comments from from Freddie and Elliot, and I thought Pablo did a phenomenal radio interview with Spencer Checkets about why this was the right decision for him. Um, kind of take us, I guess, uh, into those 
discussions as as you know as on the surface level as much as you can pablo yes absolutely yeah. no it'd be my pleasure too um so i wasn't here in 2000 i think it was 2008 right is the incident that uh, 2007 2007 yeah. that i was here in 2008 excuse me that was my first year but yes um but you know obviously we were very competitive you know as as peers in the league after that and so you know i, I knew pablo i knew of pablo um, but I didn't know him well. Yeah. Um, I knew him through Kyle, to be honest, because, right. you know, he's obviously, you know, arguably one of the most influential figures in, in, in Kyle's career in his life. Sure. And someone he looks up to as a mentor. But but in the I was in Colorado for the All-Star game. I think that was 2015. And Pablo was the coach of the All-Star team that right. year. And so I was with him for three days. And I think I knew within the first, I don't know, 30 minutes of meeting him, working under him that this was someone I wanted to play for. And if I couldn't accomplish that, if I couldn't play for him, then I wanted to work with him. Um, you know, he is, look, he's, he's, he's captivating. He yeah. really is. I, I remember, you know, the in, initial training session um, before the All-Star game and, and he was giving a speech and he, you know, continued and kept getting more passionate and passionate. And it was just so, so authentic. Yeah. And it was just, um, it was just so, uh, He's so good at, at leading a group, at coercing a group. Mm-hmm. He is a true inspirational leader of men, um, and and a guy who is you know a man who is all about all about culture, right. and that just oozes out of him. And so afterwards, after that, like kind of um, initial initial interaction, I remember calling Sam Cronin. You know, I, I called yeah. a couple of my friends in Colorado and just wanted to learn more about him, and and you know they would take a bullet for him. Yeah. And the reason they would, you know, is because he would do that for them as well. And normally that training session is just kind of a kickabout, right? <laughs> like, hey, we're playing, you guys played Tottenham that year? We played Tottenham that yeah. year. Yeah. I think that might have been 16. But uh, I remember being at that game and, you know, we had a lot of fun with your selection of the All-Star game because that was right after uh, they had bought Yedlin. Oh, and right. the rumor, and I don't know if, you know, I, I pushed this a lot as much as I could from my position <laughs> at the time, but that the... Uh, the manager for Tottenham was it Tony Pulis? Maybe I'm not sure. I don't remember. But the the rumor was that he kind of quipped after your performance in that game that maybe we signed the wrong uh, right back out of out of Major League <laughs> Soccer. So uh, certainly everybody that, that bleeds Claret and Cobalt felt that way. Thanks, buddy. So, Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I, I think you got that one right. But thank you. <laughs> what um, I guess you know how from your vantage point, how do how did Freddie and Pablo kind of philosophically connect to, to come to this common ground and, and bring Pablo into the club? Sure. Yeah, no, they had an initial conversation, uh, you know, just to get to know each other. Yeah. Um, and um, I think the conversation ended up running long and they talked for, you know, I think it was almost two and a half hours just about about everything, you know, just about just about football. And just about being in the game and, mm-hmm. and perspectives and, you know, difficulties that, that they've had. You know, obviously Pablo is, has, has sat in Freddie's chair, you know, at a right. different club. Um, but just, just about the job and just about the lifestyle and, and about pouring yourself into the job as well, which is something you have to do in a lot of these positions sure. and, and certainly the head coach. And, and more than anything, I think they talked about how you look, how you, how through culture and through structure, you can build a successful group. Um and if I'm being, you know, acutely honest, I think that's something we, we lacked a little bit last year. Mm. And, and I understand why. Um, you know, it was a very difficult year and things certainly got away from us. But, um, but that's something that Freddie identified that needed to get better. 
um, and certainly something within the organization that we identified that needed to get better. And so, you know, they wanted to collaborate that on that and, and, and talked extensively about that. And, and there was just a great connection, apparently, between the two of them. And, and you know, we can, we can see it in the office um, each day going down and talking to them and, and, you know, just interacting and collaborating on, on how we build out the roster and our, and our visions we want to implement this year. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It yeah. really is. And so I'm, I'm very excited to have, to have Pablo um, be in the right colors sure. uh, to be in Claret and Cobalt. And, uh, you know, I just feel so fortunate to have him on Freddie's staff. And I know Freddie feels the same way. Um, a couple other moves that were made early in January was the extension of Justin Glad, mm. the signing of uh, another academy homegrown in Jeff Dusnip, you know, a 16-year-old keeper that probably not too many people around the club know much about, but homegrown Harriman. in every sense of the word, right? Yes. Yeah, Harriman. Um, I know that Tyler Gibbons and the RSL social media folks have thrown up some great Photos from Jeff's uh, youth, you know, coming to meet the team day and and uh, hanging out with Ramondo and others. So I saw um, the picture with Ramondo and and the all time great Robbie Russell. That's right. Yes, that's right. I, yeah. Have you spoken with Robbie recently? With uh, Doctor Russell? Yeah, um, I have not. Recently, he sent me a text after Kyle retired, and then I texted him back. And um, Robbie's notoriously. Look, he's a doctor, so yeah. I get it. He's yeah. got a lot going on. Um, he's kind of unresponsive on his phone, but that's fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I saw that picture too. I, I think it's, it's fantastic. And it's so interesting now, um, you know, because one part of my duties is, is, you know, kind of interacting and overseeing the academy and, and, um, you know, as I interact with players and with parents, um, a lot of them share similar stories. You know, they'll send, I've had parents send me videos of, of their son and, and Kyle, uh, passing right. the ball back when, you know, their son is, you know, six years old at training sure. when we were at Zango. And it's just wow. incredible to think that so much time has elapsed, and it's even more incredible to think about how good these kids are. Right. Um, it's it it blows my mind. I think you know, my metric is myself when I was that age, mm-hmm. um, and there leaps and bounds, obviously beyond my means as a player. But it's it's look, it's it's illustrative of the success of the academy and the fact that year after year we're we're certainly just churning out thanks to the good work of of people within our academy Mm -hmm. um um, just capable players at such a high level and players that add such a you know value to the organization because of that homegrown factor but also from a roster building standpoint it's it's a luxury that that everyone in the league wishes they had sure Um, it's funny because that was the dream of the academy right is that it provides this aspirational point that all these kids could grow up coming to games, seeing you guys play, having their own training sessions kind of in the shadow of the stadium. And now, mm-hmm. you know, we've been around long enough that we're seeing that progression where they're wearing uh, the shield, right, over their heart. I remember having a conversation with you, and I think it was Chris Winger, um, around the time we signed Justin Glad and Jordan Allen. and you, and And you guys both said kind of what you just said to me is like, when I was 16, I was one-tenth the player yeah. these guys are. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of amazing to to think about, because that wasn't that long ago. It's not. And that's it, the thing about the Glad extension. He seems like he's been around forever. He's still, he's played 160 games for this club by the time he's 23. He's 23. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's crazy. The body of work he's had at such a young age. I, I still remember his first training session, um, and uh, <laughs> which is a very funny memory, but... But yeah, no, it, it's it's absolutely it's it's 
it's fantastic how quickly that's happened. And I think, look, it's, I think it's, it accurately represents something that I try to remember, um, you know, as certainly as we go through the difficult periods, but, you know, on the day to day is that really one of the reasons the organization exists, if, if not the, the, you know, the only reason is, is to inspire those kids and to mm-hmm. allow those kids to dream of, of one day playing in at Rio Tinto stadium and, and not some stadium in a faraway land that's out of their reach, but is that actually in their own backyard? And there's nothing cooler, and, and I'm so happy for for Justin, and, and so proud of you know of a, of the young man he's grown into, and, and the player he's grown into, and, and um, yeah, you know it's exciting to see the next step in his career. Yeah, and obviously I think just having him here still is such a you know it's fun. I I used to argue with Craig Weibel about you know what was going to happen if we sold Jordan or Justin. And, you know, it was five years ago, and my personal opinion at the time was that our fan base would would scream bloody murder and be, sure. you know. And obviously, I think the fan base has matured in terms of its sensibility and how the world of soccer runs. And, you know, 95% of clubs in the world, their primary revenue stream is buying it. Yeah, selling it's players. So now I think there would be more acceptance if, if some of our young – uh, guys came up, played a year or two in MLS, and then and then we sold them, um, and that's just a different dynamic. The American sports fan in me is still very kind of reluctant to. I understand. Latch on to that idea. Yeah, no, I understand. But you know, when you see Justin now in his what second or third contract, probably with the club, um, and then you've got Deucenip, and then everybody in between. We've got you know several homegrowns on the senior roster. Uh, a lot more that have been playing for the Monarchs in recent years. Um, getting that chance to kind of demonstrate their growth and their ability. Obviously, Freddie's been with a lot of these guys. I think Aaron Herrera was, you know, Freddie was his first coach down in Casa Grande way mm-hmm. back when before he went to the mighty, mighty New Mexico Lobos for a brief respite and then came back to RSL. So I guess the pipeline you feel good about the pipeline now you know with arnold whose resume you know invokes lukaku and and you know belgium i think is still the number 1 or 2 national team in the world right now so i guess uh just your 30,000 foot view of the pipeline coming through the academy and and i guess um you know those expectations for for what 2021 might be able to bring for continued development. Sure, sure. I think the most exciting thing about the pipeline for me is the fact that there's still so much room for improvement mm. and room for growth. And, you know, the body of work speaks for itself in terms of all the players you mentioned. Um, but but the fact is, look, we haven't been around that long, you know, as an academy and certainly in our own backyard mm-hmm. here in Harriman. And I think, uh, you know, one of the one of the great things that Arnold's done this year that's exemplary to that is is really tying the the local community together in terms of of all the youth clubs and and kind of the structure there and the relationship between them and ourselves and and providing you know not just one pathway but a multitude of pathways um, you know and and multitude of 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 instances where our coaches can get eyes on right. every player in the community and then also just the the world building the relationship building between between our staff and and all the people within the community and the youth game that are that are developing, um, you know, at these very young ages. And so, um, you know, everything we've done so far has been fantastic and, and deserves all the accolades. But I think in 10 years, we're going to be an almost unrecognizable version of ourselves. Wow. And that's that's the most exciting fact, I think. Um, and um, and look, you know, we're starting to see it as well, which is which is something else I get really excited about is is five 
yeah, about five years ago, you would look at, you know, take the, the U.S. player pool versus, versus a country like Japan. Sure. Okay. And, and you would say, look, we're significantly behind them because of the fact that although we have good players, we don't have big players in the biggest stage in the world, you know, at the biggest clubs in the world. And then seemingly overnight, that's changed. Um, it really has. Now, all of a sudden, you have, you know, you have players playing at, at Chelsea, you know, Juventus, yep. at Barcelona, you know, American players. And I think what's most exciting and what, you know, that perpetual care that's kind of dangling in front of all of us working um, at the academy and youth development, you know, here and in America is is having that player, you know, be from our own backyard. Mm-hmm. And for 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 a local player to come through our pipeline, to play for our, their hometown team, and then to go on to play in the biggest stage of the world, I mean, that's fantastic. Yep. That's something that I think everyone should should really understand the value of or try to understand the value of and, and dream of um, because that would be very cool for Utah. Be outstanding for Utah. I can't wait to have Arnold on because that that local, the way he's created some more local connectivity with La Roca and Sparta and mm-hmm. USA and some of the other clubs is definitely, I think, something that's critical, right, is having that symbiotic relationship exactly yeah and he's just getting started he really is yeah. we are so it's gonna be fun um we'll wrap it up and and i do appreciate your time i know we look forward to having you back uh periodically regularly um because you, you are such a, a fantastic communicator on behalf of the club and 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 you understand so much of what i think the fans want to know and hear and and all that and so we'll we'll there's other big picture issues I know we'll get into probably before the season starts one more time uh, with you. But I guess my last question, Tony, that we can talk about is, um, and you briefly mentioned uh, John Kimball and kind of his stewardship over the last, I think it's been, you know, almost 120 days. Um, what do you kind of hope to see from not just him, but, you know, the new ownership group. What do you, what kinds of things have been built that that we hope the new era brings? Right, that expands sure. um, the influences coming off of that, and um, and and maybe it's not just twenty twenty one because if you look at the MLS CBA talks or you look at the uncertainty of COVID, we don't really know when the season's going to start yet, and sure. some of those things. I think. I think everybody's hopeful that it can be as close to a normal calendar as possible. And and uh, based on what we've seen recently from both Bob Foose at the Players Union and Mark Abbott at MLS, um, I'm hopeful. I felt like there was a, a lot of saber rattling going on around Christmas. And yeah, I'm hopeful It seemed well. like that's cooled off. So, um, But there is a lot of communication, more communication publicly uh, from each side than I ever remember in previous CBAs. But maybe that's a sign of growth and maturity for the league. So um, sorry for the circuitous route, but I I guess my basic question is what are maybe your personal goals for 2021? And what do you, what do you want to see for the club uh, this year? Now that I've uh, prefaced it with a extreme amount of uncertainty across every (laughs) uh, facet. Uh, I'll tackle personal goals first. There you go. I think that's a little simpler. Um, I got to read more books. I really do. Yeah. It's such a part of who I am. And, and I understand I have three children under four and a very, very, <laughs> very demanding job. Um, but I got to read more books. So I set the bar at 20. Um, I, I'm hopeful I can meet that. And uh, we'll see. Um, Where do you find the time? 
Yeah, it's tough. That's that's the question. Yeah, right. That is the question, and uh, it's usually once the kids go to bed. To be honest, yeah. um, you know, which is around eight o'clock, and by then you're usually so just you know overcome with with exhaustion from the day. It's very difficult, um, but you got to force yourself to do these things. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, twenty is a lofty goal, and I hope to meet it, but I am very doubtful. So we'll <laughs> see. Uh, but but in terms of goals for the club. And, you know, your question, you certainly saved the most difficult for last about, <laughs> about you know, which direction do I want the new owner, you know, the leadership right now to, to go in and, and look, that's, that's, a, that's a very tough and, and complicated and, and layered question. And I think the simple answer for that is to just really reflect and understand who exactly Real Salt Lake is mm. and why it is the way it is um, and, you know, what it's trying to be. And I think that is most easily accomplished by by doing your homework and, and understanding the history of, of why Mr. Checkets, our original owner, uh, founded the team. And, you know, the idea that his idea for the team was born out of the, was it 2002 Winter Olympics? Yep. Um, hosted here in Salt Lake. That was a and big part of it. Exactly. And the fact that, you know, all of a sudden the outside world had its eye on Salt Lake City. And, you know, people were suddenly privy to its wonders and the beauties here and and the idea that you could you could, you know, showcase Utah through through the power of sport. Um, you know, and I think that's really special and, and obviously, um, you know, a, a worthy foundation for the club. And then you look at our, you know, our recent period under Mr. Hansen and and his. His understanding of understanding of how the league was trending and the tremendous amount of, you know, aggressive growth that was almost un- unsustainable within the league and his idea to to use youth development um, as the rest of the world does, as many clubs right. throughout the rest of the world do, to kind of circumnavigate that and to do it in a, in a unique way, in our own way, in a way that was competitive with other organizations but not in the same direct manner. And so, you know, if you understand those two those two mindsets and, and kind of how the identity of the team and as when it was successful and when it was not successful and, and why, um, and you maybe find a marriage between the two, um, one that specifically honors, again, the people of Utah, you know, the community values, um, and, uh, and takes care of our own. Yeah. And I think, look, I think we'll head in a good direction. Um, and I'm hopeful. I really am. There's my honest, I really, my honest answer is I think, I think there's never been such an obvious opportunity for, for, for resolution in the history of, of soccer, mm. um, you know, and, and maybe the history of sports. I really think there's such a unique opportunity for whoever the new owner is to, to come in and, and really uh, put a flag in the ground on, on which direction Real Salt Lake wants to go or is going to go. And, um, you know, we'll see. Well, Tony, thank you as always for your time, your service uh to this club and and certainly for being such a an effective not just mouthpiece but you know communicator it's obviously it comes from the heart your connection with with the club with the fans with all your teammates uh past present and your co-workers of the future so we appreciate it can't wait to have you on again really really appreciate you joining uh ryan and myself here on the bleeding claret and cobalt podcast thanks buddy i appreciate you having me And um, it's an honor. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Great stuff there from Tony. If you you loved what you heard, and I'm 
fairly certain you must have, go back on iTunes or Spotify and find Tony's podcast that he used to do with Ryan called I'll Be Right Back. Ryan, what's your favorite uh, Tony Beltran podcast memory before today? Well, there's a when Tony would make those guys like Justin Glad and Jordan Allen and Brooks Lennon read books and then come back and report to him on that. It was, <laughs> I, I guarantee you're not going to find content like that anywhere else. But there was also this moment that we had where we, uh, Tony and uh, David Horst took the young guys, which was Justin Glad, um, Andrew Brody, Jordan Allen, and he, they made them watch the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Predator from 1987. <laughs> nice. And they did a commentary track on that, and it's it's pretty funny. It's 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 still up there. I just I just looked it up just now. It's all there. So how dated is Predator? Um, I don't know. I was there. That was the first time I'd watched it since like the mid 90s. I was there yeah. with them, and uh, it was good. It was a good movie. I was right. ex- I was expecting to like be super cheap, a little campy. I'm, but I mean, yeah. obviously, that's what you're getting with that. But it yeah. was good. It was a decent movie, and you could tell like um andrew brody and jordan Allen, they were getting into it like so sounds like it held up better than expected tony's a guy that we expect to have uh semi-regularly periodically here on bleeding claret cobalt if you want to connect with us as always find us on twitter at claret cobalt also on instagram same address at claret cobalt we are always up for banter omissions corrections guest ideas suggestions your favorite rsl memories and so much more please also, feel free email us at rsltray at gmail.com. This show in, produced independently by Trey Fitzgerald and Mountain Air Media, recorded at Mountain Air Studio in Draper, Utah. The views expressed on the show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.